I want to delve into Melchizedek and his story a little bit. And because most recently I have, I have begun to appreciate just how important he is to our history and also what we might be able to learn from his ministry when he was establishing uh, his legacy through Abraham. But prior to that, there were 97 years where he was on earth. And he did some pretty amazing things, which a lot of it is actually uh, covered in Genesis, which is amazing. And so we could talk about that. And then also a third generation, what they call a legacy Urantia book reader, passed on this week. So I want to talk a little bit about John Hale. And that's what we've got in store this time up on the Urantia Radio Podcast. Before we begin our podcast, I want to say a few things about something that's, as everyone knows, one of the most tragic things that could ever happen is the loss of a a loved one. And since I've had a lot of engagement with Will Sherwood over the year, I wanted to say that I was sad to hear that his wife, his beloved wife, Margot Sherwood, passed away uh, in late October of this year after a long illness and uh, she, of course, has her husband of great support, her animals, and her loving hospice care workers that were there to help ease the transition. And Margot was born in 1954 in Hungary, and she escaped the communist nation in her early 20s. And while attending a whole life expo in Pasadena, California, Margot found herself drawn to the booth. Uh, hosted by the Urantia Book Los Angeles Society. And from that point on, still in her 20s, Margot started actively reading the book and attending study groups in Southern California. Will, a very fine man, and I'm sure that this loss has been very hard for Will. Uh, And no one, of course, ever, ever wants to lose a loved one, even though we know it means they're on their spiritual journey. And the good news, of course, is that she'll be waiting for you, Will. And um, so I just wanted to make a note of mention there. Also, I want to mention about John Hales, uh, who recently passed. John, in the very, very early days, uh, he was a child of a a couple of of forum members, uh, his father and mother, and he was 16, and he was not allowed to read the Urantia book because it was still in pre-publication before Dr. Sadler, William Sadler, uh, invited him to join the Urantia Project, John had to take a test. And then he told, uh, recounted that the uh, Dr. Sadler had said, before you take the test, before you pass the interview, you need to read part three of the book. And John did it, and he became a member of the project, as Dr. Sadler uh, called it back then. And John Hales ended up spending 70 years serving uh, various groups within the Arantia Fellowship and the movement. He was a president, vice president, secretary, secretary general, and the first field representative during those early days when the book was published. And uh, longtime reader Larry Bowman once mentioned that he, John Hale, served longer on the general council than anyone else. 1974, when he was 37 years old, uh, old, John became the resident director and in doing so became the first paid employee of the Urantia Brotherhood back in 1974. And until then, he had been entirely a volunteer. John remained with the organization 
the next 32 years and retired from paid employment in the Urantia Book Fellowship in 2006. So from that time, 74 to 2006, in the Urantia movement overall, John was very influential. And of course, that was a very trying and testing time uh, back then as well. So, And by the way, he was a recipient of the Van Award. And Van, only two other Urantia Book uh, community members since the beginning have received that award, Dr. Sadler and Christy Christensen. And the inscription on the Van Award, which was awarded to John Hale, reads, The Spiritual Insight and moral steadfastness, which enabled Van to maintain such an unshakable attitude of loyalty to the universe government, was the product of clear thinking, wise reasoning, logical judgment, sincere motivation, unselfish purpose, intelligent loyalty, experiential memory, disciplined character, and the unquestioning dedication of his personality to the doing of the will of the Father in Paradise, from paper 67. Section 3. John Hale shared memories of his parents' involvement in the forum and the Urantia Project. He says, The only thing he recalled from the interview with Dr. Sadler was that he was an important guy, like my grandfather. He had big, thick spectacles, and he suggested I start reading Part 3, The History of Urantia. I seldom mention the book per se, John says, but have joined various study groups at the church it's reassuring that people may not be ready to pick up this volume if of over 2,000 pages, but they are open to dialogue. And I encourage you to seek out some form of service, John writes. It brings to mind the quote from the book, The self is not important, but the work is. It's been my watchword over the years, through thick and thin. That's what John says. So, John Hale, your Rancho book student and a big part of the early days. By the way, they're going to be holding a memorial service, which will be held at the Kenilworth Union Church in Kenilworth, Illinois. There is a website I'll give you. It takes place, by the way, December 29th, 2022. And all you have to do is, is go to KUC.org. That's KUC.org. And you can attend and watch and celebrate the life of John Hale. Okay, we're back, and I want to delve into this segment about Melchizedek, who I've taken a fond and ever-increasing interest in it, I must say. Just, you know how it is, you're just walking along and an idea comes into your head about something you read about. And lately, on my mind, as you've heard in previous podcasts, in, in trying to discuss the best way to introduce the Arantia book and help it grow and, and make sure that people who are searching for truth and searching for real meaning and an understanding of life that we can somehow inject Urantia teachings or truths into discourse. If I see a great movie or if I see or read a great book or I hear about a great TV show or if I see a, a very exciting moment on a recent football game, it doesn't matter. 
I always want to share with, with people. So if I read something that's very fascinating, I want to share it with people. And I thought, well, you know, it would be good to go back and learn about this, this much of Enta Melchizedek because he's so central to so much of not only the Arantia book, and I'll go over some of the influences that you'll find of him in other world religions. You know, Melchizedek wanted, uh, well, I mean, the, the reason for him coming in 1900 BC is because it was observed by the most highs and the observers of our world that the light of life was vanishing. The truth of one God was disappearing. And man was wandering in a sea of, of all kinds of different cults and pantheism. And if you, if you understand that the, the evolution, the progressive evolution of man and his spiritual and intellectual growth is predicated on the truth of one God, and that, and in that truth, and as it is exposed later with Jesus' teachings, is the further truth of the brotherhood of man. You cannot have one with the other. You cannot have a brother of man unless there is a father who brings all of us together. And so that's part of the responsibility of these Melchizedeks is to not only teach truth, but to keep truth alive. And we'll have lots of encounters with them as we progress in our lives. Uh, they're, they're, they're the teachers of the universe. They're also our elder brothers in the spiritual sense. They represent Michael and Christ, and they represent the divine spirit. And, and, and actually, they are the, the firstborn, if you use the term born, in the spiritual sense. And we've talked a little bit about that in previous episodes. And there's so much good reading about them. And so from 93, I want to read a little bit about the way that he taught his his uh, missionaries, the, the students who learned under him for that 94 years that Melchizedek taught in Ur and in Salem. So Melchizedek, this is from paper 93, and then we'll just start reading from paragraph 3. I'm not going to read every paragraph in its entirety. I just want to get to the core of what we're talking about here is, which is why he came, what he taught, and how his influence has survived because of it. So Melchizedek taught the concept of one God, a universal deity, but he allowed the people to associate this teaching with the constellation fathers of Norlishadek, whom he termed El Elyon, the Most High. To a majority of Salem students, Edentia was heaven, and the Most High was God. So even back then, they were taught about Edentia being the name of heaven and that the Most High was God. The symbol of the three concentric circles, which, by the way, are the same concentric circles, which is the Arantia Book logo, which Melchizedek wore, he adopted as the insignia of his bestowal. A majority of the people interpreted it as standing for the three kingdoms of men, angels, and God. And they were allowed to continue in that belief. Very few of his followers ever knew that these three circles were emblematic of the infinity, eternity, and universality of the Paradise Trinity. From paper 93, section 3, paragraph 4, Melchizedek taught advanced truth, embracing the conduct and organization of the local universe, while to his brilliant disciple Nordan, the Kenite, and his band of earnest students, he taught the truths 
of the super-universe and even of Hivona. So these people back then were even prepared, a few of them anyway, of the greater universe. The members of the families of Catro, which whom Melchizedek have lived for more than 30 years, knew many of these higher truths and long perpetuated them in their family, even to the days of their illustrious descendant Moses. There's about 700 years or so separating the times of Melchizedek to when Moses was born. Catro lived, or, or more proper to say that Melchizedek lived with the Catro family. 30 years. Boy, imagine living with a Melchizedek for 30 years. So the compelling traditional days of Melchizedek were handed down finally on his father's side and someone on the source of his mother's side as well. And it was the Kenites who we learn later and their belief systems that were taught to Moses and the Kenites descendants of Catro who lived with Melchizedek for 900 years previous. Wow, it's amazing. Or 700 years previous. Melchizedek taught his followers all they had capacity to receive and assimilate. Even many modern religions and their ideas about heaven and earth of man and angels are not far removed from these teachings of Melchizedek. But this great teacher subordinate everything to the doctrine of one God, a universe deity, a heavenly creator, a divine father. Emphasis was placed upon this teaching for the purpose of appealing to man's adoration and of preparing the way for the subsequent appearance of Michael as the son of this same universal father. Melchizedek taught that at some future time another son of God would come in the flesh as he had come, but that he would be born of a woman, and that is why numerous later teachers held that Jesus was a priest or a minister, quote, forever after the order of Melchizedek, end quote. And that, by the way, is a direct quotation from Psalms 110, paragraph, section 4. From paper 93, section 4, the seven commandments promulgated by Melchizedek were patterned along the lines of the ancient Dalmatian supreme law and very much resembled the seven commands taught in the first and the second gardens of Eden. Adam and Eve, of course, we know, would teach the seven commandments and they would be survived, actually, re-energized by Melchizedek's teachings. And these were the seven commandments. These were the commandments of the Salem religion. These were the rules that these um, tribal members who wanted to be taught by Melchizedek when they went to his schools in Salem and you had to abide by these seven commandments. Number one, you shall not serve any God but the Most High Creator of heaven and earth. Number two, you shall not doubt the faith is the only requirement for eternal salvation. Number three, you shall not bear false witness. Number four, you shall not kill. Number five, you shall not steal. Number six, you shall not commit adultery. Number seven, you shall not show disrespect for your parents and elders. And and this was the way for Melchizedek to teach these semi-savages, the least, so that they could maintain control and, and grow. And it, those were truly, must have been advanced teachings in 1900 B.C. 
This is the age of the Sumerians. Melchizedek taught elementary revealed truth at Salem for 94 years. Melchizedek continued for some years to instruct his students and to train the Salem missionaries who penetrated to all the surrounding tribes, especially to Egypt, Mesopotamia, and Asia Minor. And as the decades passed, these teachers journeyed farther and farther from Salem, carrying with them Machaventa's gospel of belief and faith in God. The lives and experiences of the men and women who ventured forth from Salem, Mesopotamia, and Lake Van to enlighten the tribes of the Eastern Hemisphere present a heroic chapter in the annals of the human race. But the task was so great and the tribes were so backward that the results were vague and indefinite. From one generation to another, the Salem Gospel found lodgment here and there, but except in Palestine, never was the idea of one God able to claim continued allegiance of a whole tribe or race, except in Palestine. And therein lies the, I think, unspoken truth about why the Judaic religion Judaic religion is the one that maintained this Melchizedek truth, even down to the modern age. And I'll explain that in a little bit. Long before the coming of Jesus, the teachings of the early Salem missionaries had become generally submerged in the older and more universal superstitions and beliefs. The original Melchizedek gospel had been wholly, almost wholly absorbed in the beliefs of the Great Mother, the Son, and other ancient cults. Then they write here from paper 93, section 7, paragraph 4, You who today enjoy the advantages of the art of printing little understand how difficult it was to perpetuate truth during these earlier times, how easy it was to lose sight of a new doctrine from one generation to another. There was always a tendency for the new doctrine to become absorbed into the older body of religious teachings and magical practice. A new revelation is always contaminated by the older evolutionary beliefs. I should highlight that. A new revelation is always contaminated by the older religious, older evolutionary beliefs. And finally, on his departure, Melchizedek wanted to leave the scene of his earthly activities a sufficient length of time before Abraham's death to ensure that the truth of the one and only God would be become strongly established in the minds of his followers. Accordingly, Machaventa retired one night to his tent at Salem, having said good night to his human companions, and when they went to call him in the morning, he was not there, for his fellows had taken him. He just was gone like that. Mission accomplished. Mission complete. So, you know, you look back, many faiths, particularly in Africa. I recently read an article by a man who is a Urantia book reader. I think it might have been a, a recent edition of Tidings, perhaps. And he said that being from Africa, he was a, mo- a lot more influenced earlier on by uh, Abrahamic beliefs, but not so much in Christian teachings. And it was one of the things that attracted him to the Urantia book because the Urantia book gives so much homage to Melchizedek and his teachings and his uh, his contribution. So I found that interesting that it was through the Abrahamic faith 
of, of an African who was now a Urantia book reader that he liked the fact that the Urantia book had so much Melchizedek in him or in the book. You know, in some Jewish teachings, Melchizedek is described as the Archangel Michael or, or that he represents Michael. In the Torah, uh, which are the first five books of Moses, we are introduced to the Ten Commandments. And, and I'll mention this because it's among the more interesting of the interpretations of Melchizedek uh, that in the Islamic religion, they believe that he will be the one who ushers in the new dispensation, the age of judgment and the age of atonement, which sort of corresponds a little bit with the Urantia book teachings because the Urantia book teachings do say that it is likely that Melchizedek uh, is not done. He is, of course, the titular planetary prince taking Michael's place until the Son of Man returns, we're taught in the Arantia book, the equivalent of the second coming. And we're also told that Melchizedek could come at any time and he would be accompanied by his 11 fellows that took him that last night in Salem. And so those are the things to consider. And paper 93 is a great read, and I highly recommend it, especially especially like me, if you like the Genesis story. Was there something, I think there was something that they mentioned about that although Melchizedek is not referred to in the Quran, Melchizedek, known as Malek al-Salam, King of Peace, is believed to have been one to initiate Abraham into prophethood. Uh, and as Mali treaties dated back to the 1300s pro- proclaimed that Melchizedek would return following the resurrection as the righteous judge and reveal the divine mysteries, which the prophets have kept secret throughout the centuries. The divine mysteries. And then, of course, there's this nugget from Cecil B. DeMille, 20th century. The light of God shines from you, Moses. Do not kneel to me, Joshua. These tablets of stone writing of God, his Ten Commandments. There is a noise of war in the camp. It is not the noise of war. It is the noise of song and revelry. Moses! You are not worthy to receive these Ten Commandments. We will not live by your commandments. We are free. There is no freedom without the law. (laughs) 